Come on up. I did all you can eat sushi at Minato the other day. Have you been there in uh, Little Ferry? Oh, can't recommend it high enough. It's very good. Hey, this is uh, my first time to Risen King. Uh, it's been fun, man, this morning already. Uh, I, I, this is a great church, and I've heard so many great things uh, about what God has done in Risen King and have known many of, of you and pastoral staff. And like Gabe said, I uh, got to hang out in Thailand and uh, knew uh, Mike and Lisa even before I went to France uh, originally with my wife. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that journey um, in a second. But uh, this is a real privilege for me to be here. It's just, just so you know, and most of you know this, um, I I have the opportunity or the obligation to travel quite a bit and to be in various, sometimes I'm speaking, sometimes I'm just hanging out. But not all places are Jesus people. Uh, hello. <laughs> uh, and when you get into a place with other Jesus spirit people, true Trinitarians, uh, it's really refreshing and encouraging. Okay, and so, and I, you can tell, and you can tell right away uh, when the when you're around other Jesus people or not. And uh, so, I told Gabe before, like I was just listening to the band rehearse, and I'm like, I'm gonna blow out my voice just singing today. Uh, These are some of my favorite songs, and being with you, so it's been uh, it's been encouraging to my to my own soul. I'm here this week. Uh, uh, like Gabe said, uh, to, as part of the doctorate ministry program at um, Alliance Theological Seminary, uh, where your pastor Mike went, and um, I'm in my fourth of four residential courses, so I can see the dissertation looming in the horizon. <laughs> and that is terrifying. But, um, but I'm happy to be here, and some of my friends from, from class are here too, so that's, uh, that's cool. One of the things, I'll tell you a little bit more about what I do in a minute, but one of the things that's bad about my job is that I have to travel a lot. It's good because I get to see what God's doing and participate, but one of the bad things is being away from my family. So I brought a little picture of my family so you can visualize them. Um, yeah, they're, they're beautiful, right? <laughs> so my wife, uh, Rachel, uh, and I actually lived in this area for five years, and Rachel worked at Knight College for a little while, and uh, I was on staff at a church in Jersey, and then we went to France for four years as missionaries. Uh, Blaine was one when we left, so the middle one, Blaine, he's eight, um, soon to turn nine. Uh, he was born in Jersey and uh, moved to France when we were one, when he was one, and uh, spent four years there. Uh, came back on home assignment and and spoke around, and the Lord redirected us for a couple of reasons to this new initiative called Envision that I'm going to talk to you about uh, a little bit. Uh, but Blaine's in the middle, and then Jude is uh, just about to turn five. Uh, so. I'm going to tell you a little funny story about them. Um, first of all, though, uh, my wife, Rachel, and I have been married 13 years, and our anniversary is tomorrow, and uh, I'm not there. Praise it's praise God, but I missed our anniversary and Valentine's Day this year, so I'm going to head to Palisades later and try to make up for that. We'll see. Um, Blaine and Jude are sort of the typical... Uh, firstborn, secondborn uh, dynamic in that Blaine is an achiever, pleaser, you know, like super um, respectful to authority, cries when he gets out in baseball, you know, every time he gets out, he cries, that kind of thing. And Jude just wants to party. Like he doesn't care who wins or loses. As long as he's having a good time, it's all good. But he also doesn't want anybody to tell him what to do. Uh, so it's been a parenting challenge for me, and uh, it's okay. He's grown up a little bit. Starts kindergarten. We start school in Col- we live in Colorado now. We start school in Colorado in like two weeks. So they're, um, he's starting kindergarten soon. So that'll. 
put some fear into them. Um, we're like, we're actually thanking the Lord. We're like, kindergarten's going to help. Um, we turn them over to the games of this world and, uh, and just pray. Anyway, I'm praying for his teacher in all reality. Uh, so Blaine, so Blaine it, it has always been sensitive to authority, but also sensitive to the things of God. And I believe that kids can hear from God. I heard from God as a little kid. And kids, um, you know, but Blaine turned his sort of evangelistic heart into a little bit of manipulation and, uh, and uh, influence on his little brother. And, um, and so we would have these, you know, devotional times every night before bed. And uh, we would sit around and, you know, and read the scriptures together, pray at dinner. And every time, this started about a year ago, Blaine would say, hey, Jude, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? And Jude would say, nope. Every single time. And, uh, you know, Blaine's the kind of kid that every time it's offered, he raises his hand, you know? Uh, some of you are like that, you know? <laughs> like, oh, just in case. <laughs> um, and, and so Blaine is that kind of kid, but he would, he would ask Jude, and Jude would say, no, 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 stonewalling him, until a couple months later, Blaine started getting a little bit more vicious and would start saying things like, fine, Jude, if you want to be separated from mom and dad for the rest of eternity, that's up to you. But I'm staying with him, you know? And Jude would go, I don't care. You can't... <laughs> You can't bully me, you know? So one night, we're sitting around the dinner table, and uh, Blaine always volunteers to pray. And one night, Jude, you know, Jude says, I'll pray. And uh, so we're like, oh, this is cool, you know? Rachel and I look at each other. He goes, but mom, I don't got the words. You got to tell me what to say. So she says, okay. So she starts saying, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food, you know, this kind of stuff. And there's a pot. I kid you not, it's a true story. It's about six, eight months ago now. Um, uh, there's a pause in the prayer. And Blaine throws in, Jesus, come in my heart. And Jude, who's been repeating the whole time, goes, Jesus, come in my heart. And in the middle of prayer, Blaine goes, done, we got him. <laughs> and Jude's like going, wait, what, what, you know? Um, I tell you that story because uh, it's a window into my life. love my boys. Um, but it's also a, a window into maybe a misguided, okay, very misguided in some ways. But I... But Blaine, this is all he knows. All he knows is if God is real, and if I know Jesus and Jesus changes everything, then why wouldn't I want everybody to be changed by Jesus? That's all he knows, right? Now, he's doing it wrong ways. He tried to take, you know, he secretly took a Bible to school in Paris one time and all this kind of stuff. But he's motivated, right? Because he, he understands that if there's a heaven and a hell, and if certain people haven't heard, then there's a, a, a response that we can have as believers. I, I want to do two things this morning, really. I'd like to look at a passage in 1 John 5 and challenge you and invite you to, to mission. Uh, and I want to tell you briefly about uh, my job in Envision and sort of some opportunities there. Uh, and how that fits within the greater CNMA mission world and that kind of thing. But let's turn first to 1 John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I don't have it on the screen for you. If it's on your phone or whatever, that's cool. Don't start t sending texts unless they're good about the message. Okay. 1 John chapter 5. In con Here, here's a little context for 1 John chapter 5, both personally and, and globally. So um, I've been thinking about different passages from 1 John for the last four or five months. And, and every time I've had the opportunity to speak, I've spoken from some place in 1 John. And um, I, I was, it's because I was sitting in November last year, last fall, and I was, uh, I'm, I'm more of a city guy. I mean, I loved living out here, love New York City. We lived in Paris, love, love that place. 
Um, now we live in Colorado, and it's been a stretch for me. But um, what the Lord is blessing me with is, is beauty around me all the time in nature and mountains and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've always kind of been like, I'm not a nature guy. Um, I, you know, like camping seems like punishment to me, but, uh, but I, <laughs> but, but I also hear from God in these places. And I was, I went to the garden of the gods, which is this beautiful place in Colorado Springs where I live. Uh, with these red rock formations, just gorgeous, perfectly sunny day. But I sat there and I was feeling really depressed and down and frustrated that day. I was feeling discouraged about my job. We had had a number of people around the world oversee some missionaries in different places who had made poor choices and um, broken their marriage covenant or uh, you know, financially made poor decisions. And there was just all this garbage all over the place. And I was sitting there going, maybe I should, like, this isn't what I signed up for. I kind of want to quit. Um, this seems like too much. And I'm, I'm too ADD to, like, um, I have to get out of my context to really spend time with God sometimes, like these extended periods. I can't just do it in my house forever because I get distracted. So I went there for a block of time. And so for six hours, I sat there with the Lord, and I really felt the Spirit say very quickly, go to 1 John. I wasn't reading in 1 John, but when he says something to us, we do it. So I went to 1 John, and then for the next couple hours, I just read 1 John, the whole book, just over and over. And then I started slowing down, and and God was saying things to me like, how great is this love that um, the Father has lavished on us in 1 John 3, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. In other words... Like, this isn't all about you. you. The fact that you're even a part of this party is pretty amazing. Um, you know, this love that has been doused on us. So let's just, let's just take a step back a minute. And uh, seeing that, you know, John's saying stuff like, Jesus isn't just an idea. He's not just a, a mechanism to get stuff done. Jesus is real and alive, and I was with him. And I saw him, and he was resurrected, and, and he changes everything. And, and I started experiencing, you know, the Father's love that I had even distanced myself from intentionally in some ways because I wanted to handle it myself. But as I got to the end, I started realizing in 1 John 5 as well that there is motivation, deep motivation for mission here. In the themes of light and dark and and love and unlove and unity and disunity in 1 John, there's motivation for mission in 1 John 5. Here's what I mean. Let's read it together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, has been born of God. Does that sound familiar? Other John writing? John chapter 3 has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, which we do, he's implying, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life. And this life 
is in his son. Here's our key verse today. Whoever has the son, he or she, young and old, has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write you these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you do have this life. You do have eternal life. Okay, a couple of quick observations from this passage. Number one, it is not a burden to love God and to keep his commandments. It's freedom, right? So that's the first part. Like we, we think about even mission. When we talk about mission, we think about burden. We think about having to do these things for God and obey. But when God lights us up and shows us true life, it's freedom to obey him. And there's, there's, there's grace and freedom in that. Second thing, interesting what John does here in verses six to eight about the spirit, the water, and the blood. Here's what he's saying. The water and the blood, you can interpret this as, you know, baptism or, you know, the water from the mother. Jesus was really born. Okay, he was a real person. And the blood, Jesus was not only born, but he died. And so in, in the water and the blood, we see historical, physical evidence that Jesus is is real person, really the son of God, and, and that he has, has lived, died, and resurrected. But John also says the spirit agrees because the spirit speaks the truth. So what John's saying is we see that Jesus is real. We see evidence, we see historical evidence, but then deep down the spirit stirs within us that Jesus is real. And the Spirit testifies to our spirit. And when the Spirit testifies, it's like the whole package comes in and we're born again. Because our minds and our souls and our spirits are all testifying to the same thing, that Jesus is the only one who gives life. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And Jesus is the only way to have life here. And so when the Spirit testifies to us, then it changes everything and it changes our priorities. When we talk about the effect then on verse 12 in just a second. But let me just say this. One way that we know that our, our lives have been reoriented because the Spirit has testified to us is that our motivations and our reactions change. Here's what I mean. When we live lives that are mostly testified by the world about us, then our motivations follow then we become way more emotionally stirred by American politics than the kingdom of God. Then we become way more emotionally reactive to sports teams than people who are lost. Then we become more concerned about what I'm getting out of XYZ, and even it spills into the church, than other people around me experiencing the love, grace, and reconciliation that God has to give. And so when we, you know, hear the testimony from the world, we're talking in this class that I'm in this week about these worldviews that drive us, and many of them are, are, are hidden, like we can't see them. And one of the, the one that has stuck out to me the most this, this week and the danger to the church is radical individualism that really is obsessed with ourselves. You know, we all are just so obsessed with ourselves all the time. And I fall into this. Like we, we can't, and we, all, everything is processed through this grid. But when the spirit comes in and testifies to us about Jesus, then the son speaks and then the son changes priority. You know, we, I hang out with um, young people a lot, uh, you know, people in high school, college, whatever. And many of them have dreams for the kingdom already. God has placed burdens in their heart and pl- for places where people don't have access to the gospel. But the trouble is that if they stay in the culture long enough, they get domesticated. So 
because we have this individual like comfort thing that trumps everything, which is a priority that doesn't show up in scripture ever. In fact, the opposite is true. And so a lot of times when I'm with a young person, I just go, just leave now. <laughs> just go before somebody tells you to, you know, stop being silly. Uh, and going to these places and stop being silly about how, you know, uh, you care about all that. Like, just care about the, be stable. Let's be stable and comfortable and set in. And, and, and the life of God is not comfortable. I'm sorry if you signed up for that, but it's not. And it's not stable either, but it's thrilling and exciting and dynamic and changes everything. And so what John says is when the Spirit testifies and it all gets wrapped together, man, we're motivated for mission. We're motivated for mission because whoever has the Son has life. Whoever who does not have the Son does not have life. Okay, so, so here's the truth. When our priority changes, it not only involves our reactions and our motivations, but it, it also involves a conversation about people who don't know Christ. Many times in our lives, we get half of the gospel. We actually get filled up. We, many of us get free. We get power. We get healed, but we never translate it into mission, both to locally or globally. And so sometimes it's because we don't, we care about our families and our friends coming to Christ because we love and, and like, we like them. They're nice people. But our enemies or people who have wronged us or our political enemies or people who just don't, we just don't even think about them. Uh, don't, don't cross our minds. And so the, the priority then of the kingdom is to say, if you've received life, then it's time to overflow that life everywhere around you. And I want to just tell you this, you know, uh, Pastor Mike's going to say at the end of the service uh, about an opportunity to give to what the Alliance is doing worldwide. Here's the truth. There are many, many places around this globe and pockets within America now where there is not access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, no, nobody's there. Uh, there. There are languages um, and people groups who have not yet heard about Jesus, and therefore nothing has changed. The, the gospel has not broken through. And so some of the motivation here is to say, man, there's like 50 believers in the whole country of Tunisia. When we read this, we go, if I've experienced true life, I've got to care about the other millions of people, even if it doesn't affect my bottom line. In other words, we never see it. We don't feel it necessarily. And yet we care. So we, we become part of this kingdom movement to see many, many people, young and old, enemies and not enemies, uh, reconciled because God is busy at work doing that. Let me tell you just real briefly about um, some of the things that I've been up to and then we'll come back. Um, I forgot the clicker. Can you go to the next uh, slide, Pedro? Um, there we go. Um, so... A couple of years ago, five or six years ago, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, to which this church is a part of, a movement that started right around here, um, uh, the Alliance decided that there was a whole generation of people that needed to be mobilized and in new ways. Now, this is cross-generational borders now, but um, just to say, man, there could be some new ways to engage people, new ways to engage people both uh, for short or long periods of time, both in their minds and in their bodies to get them, get their heinies off the couch sometimes, or uh, to just engage in, in a more, in a more practical way. And so this is just one mechanism within the larger Christian Missionary Alliance mission world, 
like uh, Kama, you may have heard of Kama, the relief and development arm, or Marketplace Ministries, which is the, the you know, business professionals making an impact. We're one of those. And, and our desire is to move people physically or in their relationship with Christ, and then to shape the culture around. That shape culture part, we were talking yesterday in, in our class about Jeremiah 29. So in Jeremiah 29, you know, God calls the people of Israel to leave their place of shalom and to go to Babylon, uh, which literally means chaos, right? Like confusion, to go into that place, into a fractured environment, into a painful environment, and bring the shalom that they've experienced. And so shape culture means that we establish places of peace and shalom in fractured, broken places. This is the call of Christ, right, on, on his church. So, and that's in every sphere of life. There's not a, the church does this, the government does this. The church does everything. I mean, the government can help, and that's a good thing, but the church does everything. The church, the church cares about people's physical needs and their spiritual needs. They care about the fact that they can't get access to water, and they care about the fact they don't have a Bible translated in their language, right? The church does everything because we're called to shape the culture to, you know, Jeremiah 29 says to plant gardens and to marry and, and to establish yourselves there so that the, the kingdom would come. So that's what we care about. Just a couple quick things. Um, so we're a movement within the CNMA. I know it's really hard to read these slides. That specializes in missional engagement. We just want to see people engaged. So we empower and equip followers of Jesus to live well. So next one. Uh, we'll come back to this. We design experiences that move people and shape culture. And so I'll show you exactly what we do here on this last slide. Um, and basically we do two things. Um, we have a labs side, which is more of the idea side. And we have a sites part. The lab's idea side, we have three primary experiences right now. One of them is our leadership summit. Just got back from, um, let me grab some water. Just got back from London a few uh, days ago, maybe a month ago, where we had young leaders uh, from around the world there. Ron and Wanda Walborn were there uh, helping us do some uh, soul care. Got people really met God that week. Um, it's for young leaders under 30 who have been shoulder tapped to come and be invested in and, and grow. We had seven from Nyack College and ATS. Um, uh, we have a films side that just tells stories for sort of this next generation for millennials. Instead of talking about what millennials think, uh, just letting millennials speak for themselves and let that fire kind of start, uh, that can go as far or as, um, as less as a church or, or a group decides. And then the last one is a, just a social campaign that says we can raise awareness and funds for a project around the world. So we partner with comma-like projects. So this one is in Laos um, this, uh, this year. And we... Uh, we're raising money for a Votex school for uh, women who have been, and, and residential housing for women who have been uh, rescued from the sex trade and prostitution. Uh, last year was um, clean water campaign in Africa. We, dig, we dug 17 wells, and now we've heard reports that 1,100 people have come to Christ because of those wells. Uh, because pastors, uh, they were dug in the backyard of uh, Alliance churches where pastors are distributing that water. Uh, and so um, our goal is just to support and come alongside a church uh, or national church or, or missions um, and, and to see what God would do there. 
The right side is where I spend my time, and that's the sites part. So we have the 20 sites around the world now, uh, and I oversee those. We have three in the U.S. One of them is just getting started in New York City, and uh, we have. Uh, and I, I talked with um, with somebody after the first service with some good interest there, which was good. Um, but at all of these sites, we're trying to do indigenous sustainable ministry. We're mobilizing people into a place where you know there are longer term folks running the thing, and and we want to see. You know, sometimes you need outside access. My boss, Tim, talks about this a lot in order to create insider movements. So sometimes you need a voice from the outside in order to create and sustain churches for the long haul on the inside. And then they can reproduce that somewhere else. And so that's what we're trying to do at a lot of these sites. Um, We have trips, like 10-day trips. About 1,500 people will go on those this year. Uh, 250 interns and residents up to two years. Age range between 18 and 72. Uh, 72 in, uh, in Israel. So it's not just for youngsters. A lot of people, in fact, a lot of our resident couples are like people who are nearing retirement or 40 or 50 that are saying, and it's not always at our Envision sites. We connect them with other fields around the world, but um, where they say, you know what? Um, I've always felt called to missions. I don't know that I could do this the rest of my life, but I could do two years or I could do six months or whatever. And, um, and there's a lot of times there's a specific need. So an English teacher or a business person or whatever to, to fill a need and to come alongside a team around the world. Uh, and then the last one is give back, which is really for professionals who say, hey, you know, um, financially I can invest. I could invest skill, um, like coaching somebody to help with a new franchise for a coffee shop or something like that, um, that most of our young missionaries haven't been trained in um, because ATS is great, but like I didn't learn any business stuff. Um, and so uh, when you actually have to work in the real world, it's difficult. <laughs> um, so, so it's helpful to have people who actually know what they're doing sometimes. So <laughs> there's a lot of amens in the room. I felt that. <laughs> um, let me go back one slide and tell you a couple of stories and then uh, and I'll close with a challenge. So our, our desire is to move people and shape culture, which just flows out of this reality. That whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so if we truly experience the fullness of the life of Christ, it overflows wherever we go. Now that starts maybe with our local circle, but it, it gives us a different passion and reorientation. I'm saying the same thing again. Because... I. It's dangerous when you talk about missions or involvement in missions because it's easy to dichotomize. In other words, it's easy to say, this belongs to this part of my life and I'll go do this thing for God and then run back. Mission is just a holistic expression of living life with God, right? If we're living with Jesus, then mission just happens. But in order to be on mission in places where they don't have access to the gospel, you have to intentionally cross the border which intentionally is to play, I mean, this is many ways, my definition of missional engagement is to intentionally put yourself in a place of discomfort for the sake of the kingdom. Because it's never comfortable to be on mission. And as soon as it gets comfortable, we got to push further and do do something new. So our desire is to shape culture, move people, uh, shape culture story. Uh, We have a site in Cleveland right now. Cleveland's not doing so well economically. Uh, The the government has given us, um, a state government, uh, and the city government has given us a couple of houses there for $1 each. And uh, we've renovated those and put those, um, put interns and teams in those and are trying to, and, and, the, and the city came to our, our site leader, Paul Honeycutt, recently and said, I love what you guys are doing. 
I can see the immediate impact. Like we have apartment buildings that are sitting here empty. Um, you know, we give, we'll give you this. Like we could give you a whole apartment building. You could fill up with refugees um, who are looking for housing or piled in these other places. God's stirring up some cool stuff. Um, a couple of weeks ago, they were there doing a night, a spa night for, um, for prostitutes. And, um, and several of them came to faith. And one of, the, one of the ladies said, obviously, you know, this isn't the, the job that I chose. Like when I was growing up, this isn't my dream, obviously. And I have kids. But the truth is, I don't know how to get out and no one wants to help me. Maybe the systemic family system is broken. And so sometimes it takes an outsider to say, listen, I don't have all the answers. I don't have $100,000 to give you right now, but I, we, we can take some steps together. Here are some ideas. Let's start talking about vocation. But it starts with this. Jesus is life. Jesus changes everything. So if you know Jesus, that's the very first step on this journey. And she basically said to them, the love that I've received and experienced in this place, if Jesus is like this, then I'm willing to follow him. Now, we mostly hear the opposite, right? We mostly hear like, well, if Jesus is anything like you guys, I don't want to be a part of this because it feels hatred and judgmental and all this kind of stuff. But when the true life of Christ comes out, then people go, well, I'm attracted to this Jesus. And most people, the truth is, people who are living in, in, you know, in North and Central Asia and people who are living in the Middle East, and you see a, a great video at the end here, uh, people who are living in these contexts, they might be given a dream right? The Lord might give them a dream or appear to them in some way, but primarily if they're going to follow Christ, they need to meet a person who is going to be the embodiment of Acts 1-8 where Jesus says, you will be my evidence, my witnesses, but my evidence that I exist walking around. And so in order to shape culture, we've got to get intentionally into these places. And then every society begins to change, not because of a, an outside like, you know, law, but because inside we're actually living like Jesus on mission together. Move people. So in 2005, um, I was a youth pastor in New Jersey in Morris County uh, with a bunch of sheltered white kids um, who were from rich families to be. I mean, that's the stereotype, but that was kind of true. And we decided we need to get out of our comfort zones. We were doing some stuff in the, in the area, but we need to get out of our comfort zones and go where God was calling us. And I had a friend who said, it feels like God is doing something in Taiwan. You should go and come, come with us on this trip. Bring, bring a team. And so we tried to do cross-cultural training, but like I'm a white guy from Ohio who did not have any um, cross-cultural experience at the time. Tried to get you know, some training, but we didn't really know what we were doing. But the truth is, you never really know what you're doing when you go on mission. <laughs> like, I mean, Brad and Tina Reynolds, our good, our good friends, know way more about, uh, about mission, um, you know, serving in France after all these years in France. But we'll tell you, every day is an adventure. Every day is a new challenge. Every day is like a, oh, you know? And so a lot of times being on, on mission with God is just taking a step of obedience and going, I trust you, you know, I, I don't know. And so we went and we did that. And for the first few days, nothing happened. Like we were hanging out with people. We were uh, connecting with other relationships. Nothing happened. But on day eight, something crazy happened in Taiwan. On day eight, we went out. I sat down with this young guy in his 20s uh, at this restaurant. And he said to me, I've been having conversations all summer and I'd like to accept Jesus. And I said, okay, like, do you really know what that means? You know, he said, no, I know full well what it means. I'm Buddhist. My family's Buddhist. If I leave this, uh, if, I, if I put my faith in Jesus and get baptized, it's, I have a lot to, you know, uh, cost to myself personally. 
So I said, okay, and, and we prayed and he received Christ. We came back to the hotel and I'm thinking like, finally, like this is awesome. I got a story to tell and, uh, and, and somebody did come to Christ and this is great. Like we spent a lot of money to go on this trip, right? And, uh, and we go back to the hotel and e- each one of the five groups, small groups that went out into the city uh, that night, they came back and they're like, hey, Tim, you're never going to believe this, but we're sitting down with this guy and he wants to become a Christian and this girl. And so all over the city, like 10 people came to Christ that night for in a two hour period, nothing before the whole summer, nothing after. We left, but before we left that night, uh, I went up on the, on the roof of the hotel where we were staying. I looked out into Shemending, sort of like this Times Square, young, vibrant area. Never a church in the history of the world there, in that area. Never. And so I stood up there on the, um, on the roof. And do you know the, the scene in Lord of the Rings where, um, in the third one, where the ghost army comes and just starts like wiping, wiping out and you're like, there's a relief. It really, I, I could visibly see, the Lord sort of gave me spiritual eyes for a second to see the spirit coming into this place, breaking it. Like, you know, there's a war going on in the spirit because the spirit's connected to our obedience and the mission of God. I don't know how to explain it. It's a mystery, but somehow God, God was doing this stuff. And so we came back and my buddy Matt and I said, like, what do we do next after this? You know, like, and he said, I don't know, we'll send this, this couple from Minnesota at Crown College and, and, uh, and they'll go and, and they don't really know. They've been on a mission trip before there too, but they don't really know. And they've gone. I talked to Chris and Jamie two days ago. They're leading our site in Taipei. Last week, he baptized three new believers. There's a church plant now in that place, averaging between 40 and 50, raised up a Taiwanese pastor. There's a, a, a coffee house called Aroma that is now employing 10 Taiwanese that's making profit. It's like, praise the Lord, finally. Um, and, and, and they've been offered to franchise it in five different places in, tai, in Taipei and around, around the country. Um, I talked with the field director, the, the CNMA field director this, this week, and she said, we have... There has been more people who've come to Christ in this last three-year span in what's going on here in Ximending than we've seen in 30 years in Taiwan with the Alliance Missions. That doesn't have anything to do with Jamie or Chris. I mean, it does a little bit. Let's be honest. It does a little bit. They've been, they've been intentional and trained and focused, but it has a lot to do with the fact that when the Spirit breaks, He breaks through and the whole thing changes. And so the, the reason that's connected to move people is I, this is not a story about me. In fact, I didn't even go there and follow it through. I was just a part of a process of people who went, who just went and trusted God and then God poured out and, and, and then the, the next story is amazing. And I could tell you story after story about uh, places like this, where most of these people in Taiwan, and the same thing is true in Bangkok, and my friends in Paris was the same way, had never, either never met, some of them had never heard the gospel, most of them, never really heard the gospel. And, I mean, never. Um, or had never really met a Christian. And maybe they heard the story, but they never met a real Christian before. And so in those places, we go in there because there is what Tim, again, Tim Crouch, our, our boss says, an access divide that we got across for the sake of the gospel because the life of Christ has impacted us. I even ask you to come. I'm going to close with this. This is uh, just a, a, um, a story from, from Mark. So many of you have heard this. Uh, I heard this the first time in 2000, maybe four or five from John Soper. Some of you know him. Um, he's a pastor in White Plains. Now he was in the district office at the time. And so he, here's the story. 
Mark chapter four, Jesus takes his disciples on their first ever mission trip. They've never really gone on a mission trip. They've, they've stayed, they've been successful. Jesus is doing good ministry, but they haven't crossed really the big divide yet. And he, get, he says, he's been preaching. He says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Many of you know the story. They get in the boat. What happens? Storm happens. They almost die. They, Jesus stands up, calms the wind and the waves. The scripture says they're even more afraid now because uh, they're with, you know, Jesus storm, calm, storm calmer in their midst uh, who, who now has power over nature too. And they're like, what is going on? Um, this Messiah is, is clearly doing things differently. <laughs> And then they go, but they go and they, in Mark chapter five, they land and they meet one person. You remember who they meet? Demoniac, right? That's what most of the headings say. One demonized guy that's so demonized, he's breaking chains, he's outside the town. Nobody's getting close to this guy. He runs up to them. So they're on their first mission trip. They get out of the boat and demon guy runs towards them. And, and Jesus has this power encounter, confrontation, sends the demons where? into pigs, right? Which is kind of this funny story because the Jewish guys are crossing boundaries and then they're with the pigs on So the pigs jump off a cliff and uh, they, they jump off a cliff and everybody's really mad at Jesus and his disciples. So they run them out of town. They've like effectively taken care of an industry and the whole deal. And so they run them out of town. Now the disciples, the think about this. When we look at it from a, a return on investment through American lenses, let's think about the trip. They almost die on the way there. They meet one guy, get run out of town, and it seems like they've turned everyone against them. And so they go back. And so the disciples, you know, I always picture the disciples in that, in that moment standing behind Jesus going like, what's going on? I don't know. Okay, let's get in the boat. <laughs> I mean, well, they have no idea, but they're just trusting and following. But they show back up in Mark 7. They show back up to the Gerasenes in Mark 7. And in Mark 7, when they show up, there are crowds that are waiting for them to bring their, their deaf and their lame and their sick and their internally broken and all that. Why? Because that guy wasn't allowed to come. Jesus, he asked, he said, hey, Jesus, you've changed me. Can I come hang out? Can I join your church? And he said, no, you cannot. Here's what you do. You of no training, <laughs> of no formation, just walk around. And when people say, what happened to you? Say, Jesus changes everything. He just said, say, you know, thus that the Lord has done this. But really, he's just saying, Jesus changes everything, right? And I met this guy, and I used to be like this, and now you see me. And so here's what this shows us, this story. Number one, for some reason, God chooses to include us on his plan for mission to reconcile people. The disciples didn't have to go on that trip. Jesus could have done that by himself, and yet he included them. And then he turned it over to them. And... Jesus is concerned about the one person. Who in the world was going to talk to that guy and set him free? Unless somebody crossed a boundary for that guy. And when we do, when we choose to join God on mission, when we choose to say, whoever has the Son of God has life, and therefore I'm going to experience this life and then show it to everyone around me. When we do that, it is so attractive that the Spirit breaks something in that environment and really the atmosphere changes. So that the atmosphere in places like Vietnam, there are more believers than, than in America in some ways, if you really look at what a true believer is. In, in places like Democratic Republic of Congo, where we have 1.2 million people in our CMA churches now in that, in that place because somebody chose to cross the boundary at some point. And so my invitation to you is to participate in what God is doing 
certainly within vision and with the alliance, but really in your own life. So I'm going to pray. And I just want to give you a minute or two to say, you know, if, if God puts a thought in your mind about how to engage maybe with people around you or in the way that you do your finances or maybe to release your sons and daughters to go die somewhere for Jesus or whatever, um, that you would be courageous enough to realize he's, he's done all the work. He does all the calling. We don't have to manufacture anything, but we do have to be obedient and we do have to say yes. So let's pray. Spirit, would you testify once again to us about the Son? And may that testimony go so deep that it reorients the way we see ourselves, our lives, our priorities in every way. May we care about people who don't have access. May we care about people who are outcast by society. And may we press in in whatever small first step way that you're calling us to do. Take a minute or two and reflect. Let God speak to you.